And he is the winner and the victor in every battle. He is the overcoming, ever-loving, always triumphing Son of the living God. Father, we've come to the time in this service when we bow in your presence to examine your word. We come to the table of the Lord. And we come to this table, Lord, with hungry hearts, thirsty spirits. And I ask that your word would be a wellspring of water, living water to us, that you would touch us, encounter us in such a way that we will leave here changed, our lives dedicated, consecrated to the will and purpose and plan of God. That's our goal in preaching this morning and make the words of our mouth acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. The church in its purest form is found in the book of Acts. The title probably in your King James Version says the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, more accurately, it could be said the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the disciples, through the apostles. Acts chapter 2 tells us that something wonderful happened uh, when Jesus prayed a prayer in heaven. He promised the disciples, he said, I will go away. And if I go not away, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, will not come. But he said, when I go away, I will pray the Father. And he will send you another Comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seest him not, neither knowest him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. 26th verse said, And the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. When he has come, he will bring all things to your remembrance. He will teach you all things uh, concerning me. He tells us that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to empower the church to do ministry for the Lord Jesus. In fact, the great commission, as we know it in Matthew 19, 28 or 28, 19, is go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and, and all nations, everywhere you are, do something for the kingdom of God. Establish a body of believers. Now, I've always told you that everything God does, He does in community. Amen. He doesn't just do it as a onesome. He does it in community. In fact, when the world was created, the universe was created, God said, let us make man in our own image. That tells us that there's plurality. In fact, the name that is used for God there is Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, which is the plural name for God, which means that it, it includes God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. We're all involved in creation. Amen. And when the Lord intended to create a church, all three were involved in, in that, that uh, event. And Jesus said, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, he will come and he will bring power, Acts 1 and 8 says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The will of God is that the uttermost parts of the earth be traveled and encountered with a fair presentation of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the message of the church. That's the mission of the church. I've told you before that in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 41, they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the number of them was about 3,000 souls. I've told you how it came to be that all those people were baptized by the 
uh, mikvahs there that were on the front steps just close to the hall, the gates, and that people would go there and be baptized before they would go up into the temple to worship. They did that every time they went to worship. It was a cleansing kind of a thing. But we have a one-time baptism now, and that is the baptism of salvation. And when we're baptized, it is a signal to us everybody else that we have claimed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and have been buried in baptism and resurrected to walk in newness of life. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible said, and many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to every man as every man had need. And praising God, 41st verse, second chapter, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. It wasn't just a, a one-time-a-week event. It wasn't just a fall convocation. It wasn't just a spring revival meeting. It was every day of their lives. The Bible said they went from house to house, and they ceased not to preach and to teach Jesus Christ. So then the whole region, the whole Mediterranean basin was confronted with the gospel of Jesus. Many people came to salvation. Their zeal, their enthusiasm, Acts chapter 3, the Bible says that there was a man that lay at the gate which is called Beautiful, and Peter and John were going into the temple at the hour of prayer. And the Bible said, and they fastening their eyes upon him, he asked of them alms, and they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible said, and he immediately upstood and went his way into the temple, leaping and rejoicing and praising God. And such was the activity of the early church. And it's God's will that the 21st century church should look like that church. If you want to see a, a model for growth and expansion, look into Acts and look at how God grew and expanded the church until they, according to Josephus and Eusebius and Tacitus, they won the whole world to the Lord Jesus. They reached all the known world at that time with the message of Jesus, even traveling to Spain. And Peter preached in Spain the message of Jesus and his saving grace and was crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same manner of the Lord. So here are these far-flung areas of the world, the known world at the time, had access to this gospel, this salvation that presented a problem in congregational life. And we know congregational life has just about ceased to exist right now because no meetings allowed. It's difficult for us to one another right now because of the restrictions that are placed upon us health-wise. But spiritually, we are one. I said spiritually, we are one. The Bible says we are one in Christ. We are one body. We are one entity. We are the body of Christ. We are the saved people, the people of God, the, the sheep of his pastor. We are God's people, God's people. And he owns us. I said, he owns us. We're not our own, the Bible said. We're bought with a price. We belong to God. We're servants. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to be ministered to, but I came to minister and to give my life a ransom. The Bible says that we are sent into the world to serve. That means that all of us in this house are servants. That means that every one of us in this house are ministers. 
That means that every one of us in this house have a realm of influence and a circle of influence that God is entrusting us with the gospel to touch the people in our world, in our, our circle. It's called oikos, O-I-K-O-S, oikos. It means your extended family. And according to sociologists, we have somewhere between 8 and 15 people within our sphere of influence. Hopefully we've got more than that. But according to sociologists, we have that kind of closeness with about 8 to 15 people. And God is entrusting us to get those people saved, to get them saved. Now, when Jesus saved people, he made world changers out of them. I said, when Jesus saved people, he made world changers out of them. When the demoniac of Gadara said, I want to go with you. I want to, to help you and do what you're doing. I want to, I want to, be a, I want to serve with you. I, 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 I want to accompany you. I want to get out of here. This is my past. These are people that know me. And I don't need to stay here. I want to go with you. I want to leave here. I want to leave my past behind me. I want to go forward from here. And Jesus said, no. Your place is not with me. Your place is right here in your circle of influence. Because people who knew you before know what Jesus brought you out of. They know the terrorist you were. They know about how you, how you acted like a wild man and lived out in cemeteries and dwelt among the graves and the sepulchers. They know about how you, how you terrorized uh, people that would come to visit uh, Gadara. They know about your past. They know about your reputation. But to see you now is a message that is far greater than any you could ever preach to people who don't know you. You see, if the people who know you are touched by the message of your transformation, then those people are reached with the message of salvation by your testimony, by the realm of your influence. Amen. The one thing this church has that is more precious than anything it's got is a reputation for being people who connect and touch people who are hurting. We have a drive-through prayer. That's one of the ways that we touch people. We have preach a gospel about, on the internet. That's a way we touch people. Everything that we do, we, we had a ministry at one time where we touched the whole world at one time. Around the world, we were preaching the message on Saturday night at 7 o'clock, creme de la creme, prime de la prime. Time for that because this church's program was number one on Trinity Broadcasting Network. You reach more people than any other man. Therefore, they put you in the best time slot they had. Can you believe that? And so many times we're challenged to believe that the best days of our church are in our past, but they're not in our past. God has not taken his hand off of harvest. God has not limited his power and his blessing and his supply to harvest. And if harvest will take this New Testament model and use the New Testament model and go into all the world and preach the gospel and go from house to house preaching and teaching Jesus Christ, then God will do for harvest in the 21st century what he did for the first century church in A.D. 60. Truth of that is that God has not changed, and the will and purpose of God has not changed. The church has many distractions. I was listening this week to a, a pastor 
that went to a church 27 years ago, and it was in the desert. And he said the first Sunday he was there, he had 127 people. 127 in high desert California. It wasn't long. Maybe you know where high desert is in Southern California. It wasn't long before they started a strategy and started winning people to God by just accepting people right where they were. And they didn't put any kind of uh, encumbrance upon people that came to their church. Therefore, they had a lot of diversity in their church. And now their church runs 11,000 27 years later. But he said something that really touched me in my heart. He said, we have been blessed of God to have never had a church split. We've never had an internal political fighting. We've never, all of our staff members are long-term. They've been here for many, many years. And I just thought, well, how blessed you are. How blessed you are. Because all of those possible distractions. In fact, he said this, it's not so much what we have done as it is so much what we have not done. Wow. It's not so much what we have done, it's what we have not done. We've not stopped to fight and fuss. We've not stopped to split and go everywhere else. We have been focused all of those 27 years. He said, my main job is to maintain focus and keep people on point that we're not here. It's not about us. It's about him, and it's about those people who are out there. I heard him when he was asked a question by someone in the audience said, just how big is your church? He said, oh, 139,000. 139,000, he said, yep, 139,000. They said, I thought you said you had 11,000 members. He said, oh, I do, said that other 100 and so thousand just haven't come yet. Just haven't come yet. You see, when we make it difficult for people to come to Jesus, when we build barriers that hold people out, when our list of demands, you got to meet this list to be like us, and to be one of us, you got to be like this. We make our church start shrinking. It's terrible. There's nothing wrong with a small church. A small church is okay if it's not small because it makes it hard for people to come to Jesus. Amen. Being small, is nothing wrong with being a small church as long as your doors are open and you're inviting people that don't know Jesus to come. Someone said, oh, I wish everybody that's lost would get saved and come to harvest. Really? Are you really ready for that? Are you ready for all the crazies? Are you all ready for all the weirdos? Are you really ready for all of those theologians that has never got along in any church they've ever been to? Are you really saying, and you should, I'm not fussing because you say that, I'm just saying, are you ready for that? Are you realizing what a responsibility that is? Are you realizing how much that you're going to have to serve in order to accomplish what you think you want? Amen. Could it be that God doesn't send lost people to churches because he knows that they won't care for them? 
Could it be that God doesn't send new converts because we have such a poor commitment to such people that need help? Could it be that if we were more committed, could it be that if we were more dedicated, that we were more open, that we didn't have all these restrictions, would it be possible that God would send more? Well, when that first century church started getting people saved, a big problem arose. Because Moses had always taught the people the Ten Commandments. The Decalogue. The rule for behavior. Don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't bear false witness, don't commit adultery. All the, all the list. And here we are sending out people like Paul. Paul's on his way to Damascus. He's a good Jew. He's a good Pharisee Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. He knows all the protocol. He knows all the rules. And he meets all the qualifications, all the rules. Hebrew of the Hebrews. Jew of the Jews. I am... Concerning the law, I am not lacking. I don't come behind in nothing. I am a full-pledged Jewish, Moses-believing, law-keeping Pharisee. And on his way to arrest Christians, on his way to Damascus, Damascus, what were Jewish people doing in Damascus? That's in Syria. Syria is to the north. Syria is always the enemy. Syria is all the invaders. Syria is always our problem, our enemy. What are you doing on your way to Damascus? What are Jews doing there? I'm going to arrest them because they're preaching Jesus to folks that aren't supposed to hear it. They're doing contrary to our law. They're doing contrary to who we are and what God gave Moses and Abraham. Our, our whole lineage, our whole history has been this. And I'm going to arrest them and bring them back and persecute them and put them in prison. And suddenly, the Bible said he was stricken off of his donkey. When he hit the floor, hit the ground floor, the Bible said that they heard a voice, and it spoke to him. It said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Persecuting God? How am I persecuting God? By persecuting his people. The Lord has said, if they do it to you, they're doing it to me. If you're going through persecution, it's because of me. Don't be, be hateful and don't respond in a bad way because it's not about you, it's because of me. When he fell to the ground, he realized that the Bible said there was a great light that shined upon him and it was so bright that it blinded him. And he asked a question, Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And I have a purpose for you. I'm going to make you a vessel that I can use. I'm going to make you a person 
that can open up this gospel to everybody. I'm going to make you an apostle to the Gentiles. But wait a minute, God, salvation is of the Jews. We're the ones that had the prophets. We're the ones that have heard the word all these years. We've had two temples destroyed in this whole deal. We've, we've been in this since the very beginning, and now you're going to turn to somebody else and offer salvation to somebody else? Ananias was in Damascus, and God told him, he said, somebody's coming to see you. What a great sermon title. Somebody is coming to see you. Well, Lord, who exactly is this that's coming to visit? His name is Saul of Tarsus. And suddenly Ananias' countenance changed. He was fearful in his, in his expression. Oh, Lord, do you know this man? Oh, yes, I know him. Well, listen, he's one that persecutes Christians. And I'm sure if he found out about me, I would be in his chains headed back for a life of imprisonment. Lord, are you sure about this guy you're sending to visit me? And the Lord said, don't be afraid of him. I told him to hunt you up, and he's going to find you. And when he finds you, you're going to pray for him. And the scales are going to fall off of his eyes. And I've got great plans for him. He's going to preach. He's going to preach all over the world. He's going to preach in Rome. He's going to actually go to Rome and preach in Caesar's own household. He will win people to God who are part of Caesar's family. Lord, you've got to be kidding. Boy, what a grandiose plan that is. What a high and lofty ambition that is on the part of God that he's going to raise somebody up. Well, when he does that, he, does, he makes world changers out of people. I told you about the demoniac of Gadara. What about that centurion whose daughter was dead by the time they got there and Jesus went in and raised her from the dead. He said, she's not dead, she's sleeping, and raised her up. So Jairus, let your light so shine that people will give glory to your Father in heaven. Well, it wasn't long till the little lady touched his board of his garment. She got saved and got to go tell the doctors that had been tending to her for all those years, 18 years, how Jesus had made her whole. What a testimony. Go back to your realm of influence, that Samaritan woman at the well. You remember her when Jesus said, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again? And the Bible said her prayer was, Lord, give me this water that I thirst no more. I want this water. And when she got that water, Natalie, the Bible said, and she went into the town and told all the men what Jesus had done for her. Now, you've heard me preach this before, haven't you? There's a reason why she went and told the men. She didn't go tell the women, Shirley. She went and told the men. Why did she go and tell the men? Well, you've got to remember she'd been married five times and was with a sixth one that she wasn't married to. Her reputation was terrible. She was known among the men of the city. So the people who know her knew her best. Are y'all getting this at all? The people who knew her best were the people she went to. And she said to them, she said, it's over. I'll never be the person I used to be. 
I'm changed. I'm not like that anymore. My nature has been changed. I got saved. Jesus, I met him at the well. And if you'll come with me, I want to bring you. I want to take you to where Jesus is because he's got some water. And if you'll drink of that water, you'll never thirst again. That water is an endless supply. And if you'll drink of that water, you'll be satisfied and happy. My Lord, if God could just create that within all of us, that we had that kind of testimony, that we could go and tell people, hey, come and meet a man. Come and meet a man. Come and meet a man. Oh, yeah, they'll sing songs, and it may be loud, but it'll be all right. Come and meet a man. Well, come here, the preacher. No, come meet a man. Come and see the latest fashion on our ladies. No, come and meet a man. Come and give your offering. No, come and meet a man. The best thing this church has got to offer a lost world is the Lord Jesus. Come and meet this life-giving, soul-satisfying Savior of the world. Come and meet Jesus. You need to meet Jesus. So when Gentiles then started believing and Gentiles started getting saved, it wasn't long until Gentiles were comprising the most of Christendom. In fact, it was Gentile churches that were taking up offerings and sending to the Jerusalem church, to the Jews, to help them because of a famine that was going on in Jerusalem. So people they thought weren't even saved was taking up offerings to send them to minister to them in their need. Sometimes help comes from those strange places, doesn't it? Sometimes God does some of the most miraculous things through unexpected sources. I have a pastor friend over in Atlanta years ago, and he felt like God wanted him to pay off the church. I sure wish God would visit me with one like that. Hallelujah to the Lamb in my lifetime. And he announced... Next March, we're going to pay this church off. He got pretty close to the time, and it hadn't really happened. He said, God, I know what you told me. And he said he got to working and got within $150,000 of it, I believe he said. And he said, on Saturday before the Sunday, I had told people that's the Sunday we're going to pay it off. He said, I got in my car and started driving down the interstate. Got out, out there past Canton and out, out that way. And he said, I stopped at a, a town there and said there was an old railroad track and a railroad station. And he said, I went over and they had a church pew out there for people waiting on the train. And said, I went over and sat down on that church pew feeling so sorry and how embarrassed I was going to be tomorrow when this don't happen. What am I going to tell people? And he's sitting there on that pew, feeling sorry for himself, negative, pessimistic, drowning in despair. And he said, I looked up the tracks, and he said, an African-American woman come walking down those tracks. And said, I heard her when she got in hearing distance and said, she was singing, I know the Lord 
will make a way for me. If I live a holy life, shun the wrong and do the right, I know the Lord will make a way for me. She got to the pew where he was sitting, and she looked over at him and said, You're a preacher, aren't you? He said, Yes, ma'am, I am. And she said, Well, the Lord just told me to come by here and tell you that there's another drop of oil in the cruise, and there's another pinch of meal in the barrel. If you don't read your Bible, you don't know what that means. Maybe your wife will tell you on the way home. One more drop of oil and one more pinch of meal in the barrel. He said, I jumped up from there, threw my Coke and candy bar down, and got in my car and drove back to the office. Told my secretary, hey, it's going to happen. God's going to do it. And he said, People started coming in. Said, said one, one of my families said her, her husband's name was Cotton. I can't remember her name. She said she came walking in, said she had a paper bag and had $20,000 in that paper bag. Set it on my desk, he said. And she said, we've been giving conscious money for years and calling it tithes. And said last night, said the Lord woke me and Cotton up and said, I promised the Lord if he'd let me see the day come, I'd straighten it all out. And said, here's what should have been in the tithe envelopes. Hallelujah. Here come another member and another and another one. And he was almost there. And said, the, the phone rang and said, the pastor of the Methodist church up the road said, you're not going to believe this, Pastor, but said the Lord just put a tremendous urge on me and a spirit on me to give your church $10,000. Said, I don't know what that's about, but said, I'll be there in just a minute with a check for $10,000. Glory to God. What are you talking about? I'm talking about a God that wants this world to know that the righteous have never been forsaken and their seed aren't begging bread, that the righteous are his people, that God has a covenant with his people and he'll never, ever fail. He'll never, ever... Hallelujah. God never fails. His grace never fails. His power never fails. His inexhaustible supply never fails. You'll never drain his well dry. You'll never pump it dry. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns the earth, everything that's in this earth. It is owned by our God. He owns it all. Praise God. Well, started messing with this people's theology when people started getting saved, when people started coming to Jesus. And they said, we got to have a council about this. 15th chapter of Acts. Finally got to my text. 15th chapter of Acts. 15th chapter of Acts. It's called the council at Jerusalem. And the council met to decide whether it's right for these 
Gentile people to have the Word of God, to be saved, for them to have what we've got. Acts chapter 15, verse 7. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did to us. Well, now, Brother Jerry, it's one thing to save them. It's another thing to give them the Holy Ghost. My Lord, you mean they've got the baptism? You mean they've got the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? You mean they've got the latter rain? You mean they've got the anointing? You mean they've got the same thing we've got? Can you believe that God not only saved them, sanctified them, He filled them with the Holy Ghost? And now we're back here at Jerusalem trying to decide if they can even be saved. And the Acts says, God bear witness to their salvation, giving them the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 9. And he put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts, purging their hearts, cleansing their hearts, washing their hearts in the blood of Jesus, making them a new creature in Christ by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? What is he saying? He said, why are you making it so difficult for these people to be saved? Why are you trying to find every reason in the world that you can find why these people should not be saved? Why are you putting such a yoke upon the neck of people who have been saved? And then all the multitude kept silent and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul declaring what miracles and wonders. Well, now, my Lord, we've gone past getting the Holy Ghost. Now we've got miracles and wonders. Now we've got up at Antioch up there, we got people not only getting saved, but they're also getting the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and now they've got healing and miracles and wonders all going on in the church. Hey, could I tell you that's the norm? Could I tell you that's the way God wants it to be? Could I tell you it's the will of God that you not only have saved people, but spirit-filled people, and that wonders and miracles take place in the body of Christ? Can you believe that God was doing miraculous things, that people lame were walking and blind people were seeing? He said he wrought miracles. And 13th verse, And after they'd held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Hearken to me. Peter hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof that I will set up, that the residue, the remnant of men, might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord who doth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Isn't that powerful? I love that so very much. What is God saying? He's saying that if we can reach our people, the folks that we influence, our world, our extended family, if we can just do those, those things that we need to do, let our light so shine, if we can just influence people for God, if we can tell them every time we get at Thanksgiving, we pray a prayer, 
And God, for everybody that's not saved around this Thanksgiving meal, I pray that you'd save them by your grace. Every chance you get, remind them they've got a soul. Every time you get a chance at Christmas, thank you, God, for this Christmas season, we celebrate a Savior. And I pray, oh, God, that as our families gathered together today, that not one person would leave this gathering without knowing the saving grace of the Savior of the world. Thank you for the birth of a Savior. Thank you for Christmas. Fourth of July, you get together for a barbecue. Hey, wait a minute, I need to pray. Thank you, God, for this July the 4th. Thank you for freedom that we have in Jesus. Thank you that we've been made free from the bondage of sin. Thank you that we're free from all the fetters and all the chains and all the devices that sin and the devil have placed upon us. And thank you for freedom to love and serve the Lord Jesus. What are you doing? You're planting seed. And you'll never reap a crop that you don't sow. Jesus said the seed is the gospel. The seed is the gospel. The ground around where the gospel is spread, it represents the hearts of men. Some of me said it's hard ground and the seed cannot take root. It never has a chance. Never has a chance. There are some people who come to church, the word of God never touches them. Never touch it. Never phases them. Never changes them in any way. Because the ground is so hard. Couldn't get an amen? Ground is so hard. Second one is the kind of ground the Bible said the seed fell and it put forth a plant and looked like it was really going to be fantastic. But as soon as it came forth, Tina, in process of time, the Bible said it just withered away. How many people have you seen have a great start? Come to church pay their tithe, do all kind of good things. You think, well, praise God. Isn't that wonderful that they got saved? And then as soon as something adverse happens, just fade away. And the Bible said it's because the ground lacked moisture and lacked depth. The roots just didn't get down far enough. Come on, somebody. The roots just didn't ever get down there far enough. The Bible said another seed fell among thorns, and the thorns choked the Word of God in it. Couldn't grow, it couldn't produce, it couldn't do anything because the thorns. And the disciples asked him, Faith, they said, Lord, what are these thorns? And he said, They are the cares of this life. Some people are so worried about coronavirus that they can't see the great grace of God, the power of God. Some people are so upset, so frightened, so fearful that God's had to take a back seat to COVID 19. God hath not given to us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There is nothing greater than our great God. There is nothing greater than his power to heal and deliver. There is nothing greater than his anointing. There's nothing greater than his loving kindness toward us. There's nothing greater than his deliverance. Many, somebody say many. many. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's all that needs to be said about coronavirus, about pandemics. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all.
all. Thanks be to God. David said, this poor man cried unto the Lord, and the Lord heard his prayer and delivered him out of all of his trouble. Hey, cares of life will happen, sure. Sometimes there are bad things that happen to good people. Yes, as long as we're in this world, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. In this world there will be tough things that will happen. In this world there will be difficult, hard things to go through. But let me tell you this. The God who called you, faithful is he that called you. Faithful is he that turned your life around. Faithful is he that regenerated you. Faithful is he that made you a new creature in Christ. Faithful is he that has a wonderful future for you. Faithful is that God who also will do it. Also will do it. He'll do it. Therefore, Paul said for us to be sober. Peter said be sober, be vigilant. Because the devil, your adversary, there's an adversary that's working among us. There's an adversary that's trying to stop us. There's an adversary that doesn't want another soul saved. There's an adversary that doesn't want another song sung. There's an adversary that doesn't want another sermon preached. There's an adversary that doesn't want another afternoon of praying and drive through prayer. There's an adversary that's fighting everything that we do. Yes, there's going to be difficulty. Yes, there's going to be times when you've got to struggle. Well, Brother Jerry, I wasn't prepared for that struggle. Well, my Lord, you need to get you a good dose of Holy Ghost power that will help you endure hardness as a good soldier of the cross, that you can endure those things. The Bible said, he that endureth. Somebody say endureth. He that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. So it's an endurance thing, isn't it? I said it's an endurance thing. Can you endure? Are you going to make it? Boy, that's awful weak. I didn't know I was preaching to weaklings this morning. I said, are you going to make it? I'm going to make it. For he's already working for my good. He's already said that I would. He said, I'm going to make it. There's a song that goes like that, and I'm not going to sing it, no, but it says that very thing. He's already working for my good. He's already got something in mind for me. Right out there in my future, he's got something in mind for me. He's already planned every day. The Bible said all of my days, not just the days of my past, but the days of my future, all of my days are in his hands. Hallelujah. And the greatest thing we can say to a world right now that's reeling, a population that's shaking right now, the best thing we can say to them, if ye abide in me, If you believe in me, come on somebody, if you believe in me, you can endure all things unto the end because enduring to the end means you win. I said that means you win. I said that means you win. Stand with me please all over this house. I know I can't touch you and you can't touch me. I know. 
I know we can't have altar services. I know. I know that we can't do all the one anothering that we, that we do. I know. But I just told you there's a God that's not limited. I said there's a God who is not limited. Many years ago, Rita was suffering with some kind of illness. And she'd come up to the altar service. She's here right now. She'd tell you this story. And while we were praying in the altar, I just looked over her direction and I said, Rita, be healed in Jesus' name. And the Lord healed her and touched her right at that point. Right at that point. She came out around after service and said, said, you know what? I had come to church hurting and but said, when we prayed, when you said be healed, thank God I got healed. Praise God. You see, when you preach the Word of God, it won't return void. It will accomplish the purpose whereunto it's sent. When the Word of God, the Bible said, He sent His Word and healed them. Psalm 106. He sent His Word and healed them. For somebody in this house this morning, there's a healing touch. I said there's a healing touch for somebody in this house right now. For somebody in this house right now, there's a, a healing touch. For somebody in this house... There's an encouragement. You've been walking through despair. You've been walking through, through tough times. And God says to you right now in the name of Jesus that there is for you a healing for your damaged emotions. And there's a touch for your heart and a touch for your life. For you that are, that are downcast, the Lord's word to you this morning is look up before your redemption draweth nigh. The word of the Lord says to you this morning, be strong and be of a good courage because the Lord your God hath gone before you to prepare the way. I am in your future. I'm in your past. I know you and I've called you by my name and my hand is upon you and I will stretch out my hand, my arm, my strong arm and my mighty hand. I will stretch out toward you and I will lift you up out of the quagmire and I will give you a glorious touch of my power, my spirit and my presence and my anointing. Seek me, saith the Lord. Turn to me, all ye people of mine, for I am your source and I am your strength and I will give unto you the things that you desire, the things that you want and the things that you need. Be strong. Be of good courage. Love me. Keep my commandments. Live for me. Be strong. And I will keep you by my great power, saith the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Right now, my God, I pray for this congregation of people who have sat and heard your word today. We've heard about persons that experienced miraculous things in their life. We've heard about people that did ministry and reached their oikos. They touched the people that were closest to them with the message of the saving grace of Jesus. Lord, I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice would go from this meeting today and would encounter the people within their sphere of influence that they would feel the unction from the Holy One to speak to people concerning their lostness. Help us, God, a neighbor, a friend, a cousin, an aunt, grandparents, cousins, whomever, brother, sister, mom, dad, help us, Lord, to become aggressive in kingdom work and help us, Lord, to do the things you intend for us to do as a church. We love you. We praise you. We trust you. We trust you. 30 seconds of the best praise you got. Come on. Best praise you got. 30 seconds of the best praise you got. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.
glory to your name. We worship you and praise you, God. We give you all the glory. We give you all the power. We give you all the exaltation, God. Be lifted up, O oh our God. Be magnified, O oh our God. We praise you and we love you. And we give you all of our worship and all of our praise. Now dismiss us from this place, but not your sight. And go with us, O oh Lord, and order our steps. We'll give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you.